As we just minister, we're carrying on on a series that I've, I've felt in my heart is such a critical thing. It's called Power for Your Purpose. And, and we've been talking about the Holy Spirit extensively. And, and I've said many things about, you know, I've been, I've been ministering it as the Spirit leads me. I've been ministering it a little differently because I haven't gone through some technical points. We've, we've, we've discussed a lot of Scripture. Jesus had a lot to teach and to tell us about the Holy Spirit and how He would minister in our lives. And, and I've said this almost each time, is, you know, He's so much more than a doctrine. He is, not, he is not just, we believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, and all the doxology, you know, now the love of God, or the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He's not just part of a doxology. But he, he enables us, there's, there's so many benefits for you and for I to participate in, and, and so he is such a critical part of us in these times. And I'm telling you, we are living in some crazy times. Yes, uh, and, and I mean, like I said, we'll get to teach some of these things that are coming up and, and things that we are presently seeing and that are spoken about in Scripture. There are things that we are experiencing right now that are spoken about in the New Testament. I, I, I saw an article yesterday in a news feed, that's, and, and I was disgusted. It was, a, it was some announcement of some very religious, very high up religious person. Uh, I won't even give you their rank in, in fear of giving away or making their, their religion look bad. But the, he, was, he was saying, you know, um, this, this, the way that the Lord's Prayer starts is actually a problem. Yeah, yeah, this is what he says. This is, he says the way the Lord's Prayer starts is actually a problem. And I was like, what? So I, I was, and I was like, this guy who's a, a, a very high up in this religion, and you would all know it, um, he says that starting with our father is, is, is a problem. Because people are offended because of the patriarchy of the Godhead. It shouldn't be, we shouldn't be talking about him as a male, and we shouldn't be doing this, and we shouldn't be doing that. And people are offended because of this, and... And of course, course, so the, the, the liberal people are saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're offended. We're offended about this. I mean, Lord Jesus, is there so many things that we are offended about? The, the world is offended. I'm, I'm sorry, guys, but truth doesn't offend. Truth actually sets free. Or let me, put you the, let me put it this way. The truth that offends you most is probably the truth that has the most power to set you free. We don't get to choose what truth is. You and I aren't the author of truth. Now, of course, you hear this in the news, you know, I have my truth. There's no such thing as your truth. You can, you can live in your own little bubble of whatever you want to and call it reality, but that doesn't make it reality. And that's the same for all of us. We, we have an opportunity to engage in God's view and opinion, which is reality. And that's, constant, that's really what the whole Christian walk is about. Because if you think you've arrived, you haven't. We are all on a journey of encountering and conforming ourselves into His image. We are conforming ourselves to see how He really is, what His view and opinion truly is, and we align ourselves constantly with that view and opinion. If you don't believe that, then you're not, that, that is an essential part of, of humility and being willing to learn. So as I said, this is crazy times that we're living in. When you've got it head, heads of religion leaders that are saying these things. I'm telling you, I was telling a few friends, this is, this is demonic. 
And I'm not saying that 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 is a physical demon. That is people that are listening to the spirit of Antichrist. When you start contradicting the word of God as your opinion and then, and, and then making change, these, I, mean, I mean, it's just astounding. But the word of God actually tells us that many people are going to be led astray. Many in the church. So you, you and I have got, we, we have got to determine if we are going to allow the word of God into our hearts and be, get established. Listen, I wish I could establish you in the word of God, but you can only establish you in the word of God. You can only take the truth and allow it to penetrate your heart. And we speak about that. And I'm not going to go into that topic because as Norman says, it's an important topic of the heart, but, but we're not going to go in there today. Today, I, I mean, this, this series, I've been talking about the essential part of the Holy Spirit in the process. You and I do walk in, in tandem. We walk in association with the Holy Spirit who Jesus gave us. And, and I, I can't go back to, too much to all the other things that I've said about it, but just know that Jesus said, it is better that I go away because unless I go away, I won't be able to send the Holy Spirit to you. And then, there, then amongst many other things, he's, he's our teacher. He's, our, he's the one who gives us revelation. He's the one who, who shows us things to come, etc., etc. And, and, and we'll, talk, we'll carry on talking about it, a little bit about these things because I, I need you to, to hear and to grasp, I can't do life without the Holy Spirit. I can't do the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And you know what? It's ma- he makes the Christian life easy. You, you and I are called, called to live a normal Christian life, which is a supernatural Christian life. Last week, I was talking about the love of God. I, I've been talking about the love of God because it is an essential character trait of God. It is, it is the, the framework of God's character and nature is based on love. And that is not my opinion. That is scripture. And I went into ex- extensively in Twice in 1 John 4, uh, 1 John 4, it talks about, it, it makes this emphatic statement. It doesn't say that God sometimes love, loves. It says that God is love. It doesn't say like God sometimes wakes up on a good and he chooses to love. No, he is love. This is glass. This doesn't choose, no matter what you feel like it is, this pulpit or a podium, whatever you want to call this, lectern, is, if this piece is made of glass. It is, it is an, it's, an, it's part of who it is. God is love. Amen. When you approach God, you are approaching, He is love. He can never be anything but love. But you see, if you don't understand that love is an is essential part of His thing, you think that love, that, that God has got sometimes a bit of love and sometimes a bit of anger. You, you separate them. No. Do you know that love can be angry? Yes. Love, love can be angry. It, but it, love in its, in, 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 its, in its purest form, in God's definition, you see, we, we, <laughs> we redefine love into the human idea of love. And this is what we hear. We say, God is nice. Love is nice. God is, no, that, that's not what is, he, you have got to redefine, you, you and the Webster's Dictionary doesn't define love. Hollywood does not define love. 
The only person who gets to define love is he who is love himself. He is the one who defined love. And you have to say, okay, maybe I've got to throw up all my understanding of what I think the word love is and receive a different understanding of the word love. And when you let God explain who love is and what love is, that is what the ultimate definition of terms is. Do you know? I mean, you can even read George Orwell's 1984. I mean, a lot of what we're seeing today is, as you will, we'll, you'll see even references to the Orwellian things. But, but he talks about he who defines words. And there is a redefinition happening in our midst today in history where people are redefining words. We have, got, we have got defined words in the church, and we have got to be able to say, listen, who gets to define these words? Do I know what this word means, or do I have to understand what that word really means from God's perspective as God defines it? It's super important. It's super important because, you see, God defines who love is. The beautiful thing is that we get to see in we get we got we get to see a physical demonstration who of who God is in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, he is the ultimate representation of exactly who God is. And I don't know we've gone through scriptures and those of you who've been with me but I'm going to touch on these ones. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the exact imprint. He has revealed. You see... People, I, I hear it all the time. I hear Elon Musk talk about it. I hear so many of these quote-unquote brilliant, intelligent people give their definition of God or their definition of stuff. And they're all, well, God, is, it's just kind of confusing, you know, because he's different in the Old Testament to the New Testament, whatever. It's like, <laughs> no, he's not. You're confused. He has never changed. And if you stick around here, you will understand why I say that. Because God has never changed. Only covenants have changed. God has never changed. He doesn't change as the shifting of shadows. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not vindictive. If just because you think he's vindictive, you don't understand, you see, but that's the thing, is when you've made a choice that you understand, and I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to choose what God is. God is stupid. God is confused. God is changing. No, 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 no. Shh. You, you, you're revealing so much of your ignorance right now. It's unbelievable. <laughs> It's like, it's like you let God define certain things. He happens to be God. He happens to be the one who spoke the universe into being. He is the one. And yes, he created in seven days. If you do not believe God created in seven days, you are in dangerous waters. You know why? Because you've chosen to redefine what he says and said, well, I don't believe that. I think I'm just going to overload my, my view of creation and I'm going to say that, it, that that's not what God meant. I know I'm touching on stuff here, but I'm just telling you. I'm telling, I'm telling you because there is an explanation and one of us, one day we will all understand. If the, you know that the Bible does say, I mean I've touched on this before, that he stretched out the heavens. Einstein discovered about the stretching out. That when you stretch time and space, you know that time changes. They've proven it. 
Do you know that God can create things in seven physical days? And as he stretches out time, it could it stretches out the heavens. It could actually be different. I know we can't understand E equals MC squared sometimes, but, you know. But, uh, yeah. They're, they're, I'm just saying that let God be true and every man a liar. It is what God says it is. But we are quick to redefine things and say, well, I don't understand that, so therefore I'm going to insert this. Oh, no, I don't, I'm going to, no. If you, you see what happens then is suddenly your faith is subverted. Suddenly you will not take the word of God as the word of God. Suddenly the word of God becomes subject to somebody else or to you, to your interpretation. Exactly. Danger. Will Robinson and everybody else. <laughs> Danger. No one, uh, John 1 verse 18, no one has seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That is Jesus. It's talking about Jesus is the only one who has made him known. John 14, verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Matthew 11, verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus is the only one who knows the Father and has seen Him in, in that sense because He is a spirit. He, and then Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus, in these last days, is if you want to see a definition of who God looks, who He is, how He acts, you have to look at the life of Jesus. If you want to see the definition of love, you have to look at the life of Jesus. If you want to see what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, or what He said to the woman caught in the act of adultery, or what He said to the blind Bartimaeus, or you can see God in every one of these pictures. That's what makes reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John so powerful, because you see four different dimensions, four different perspectives on the life and story of Jesus through different eyes and different personalities, and you see this beautiful picture of who God is and how love is defined. When Jesus takes that whip. And we, as I often say, is like the, becomes the table flipping Jesus. That is still love. Yeah. It's not, yes, was he angry? Absolutely. Can we be angry? Yes, but sin not. Yes. In a, there, there is a righteous indignation. God can be angry. But the, you see, so what we want to redefine love is niceness. And, and, and why am I hopping on this? Because, because I've said, <laughs> Tim, Tim Clark, one of our missionaries, that we support here, and, and he said this when he was visiting with us last year. He said, the answer to a thousand and one questions is, be led. You see, you and I have that internal Holy Spirit-given GPS that is constantly leading us into all truth, teaching us. He becomes, as we've discussed before, he is the one that gives us revelation. The spiritual man, it says in 1 Corinthians 2, he is the only one that can interpret the word of God, not the natural man. 
The Spirit can help us understand the Word of God. It's only through the Spirit that we can understand it. But you see, this is, this is why we've got to say, because God is love, and, if, and, I, and I mentioned it a couple of messages ago, you can't hear the language God speaks if you don't understand. He speaks love, lovelies, of whatever you want to call that language that God speaks. He speaks in a language of love. And I gave you an illustration, and I told you that when I try to read in a word, an English word in Afrikaans, I try to say, my brain was saying danger, or that Afrikaans, were actually danger, if you pronounce it in Afrikaans. I was trying to say danger, danger. What is danger? I couldn't understand the word because I was trying to read an English word in the wrong language. It's just the same with God. He can speak love to you and you will get confused. I don't understand it. Why doesn't it make sense to me? Because he's speaking in a language you've not got your ear tuned into. Love. He speaks love. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, obviously we talk about the love chapter. And it says, uh, and I'm, and I'm going to just, just drop down to that uh, quickly. Let me just go to 1 Corinthians 13 over here. Um, well known. Um, and I'm going to just flash through the, the, the chapter. It's a well known uh, chapter, it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the prophetic powers and understand all mysteries um, and uh, all knowledge, sorry, yes, all knowledge and have all faith as so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now listen, then this is the definition. Now remember, this is agape love. There's so many words that there's four or five different Greek words for love. It's not storge, it's not eros, it's not phileo, thank you, and there's another one as well. It just escapes me offhand. But there's not, there is agape love, and agape love, this is talking about agape. It's agape is patient and is kind. It's the same one that says God is agape. And, and like Ed and other people have done before, but Ed, the guy, the evangelist I used to work with, used to, instead he said, why don't you insert the word God there just to give you a different, fresh perspective? In other words, say, God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There's so many powerful truths about God. He bears no record of wrongs, right? God never ends. And then, and then um, he carries on as he says, for prophecies, they will pass away. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge will pass away. And he says, we know in part and prophesy in part. That's, that's a key. Yeah. Just in case you think prophecy is 100% everything involved. No, 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 no. We know, we, we know in part and prophesy in part, it says. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And then, he, then he, I, I, in verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I, I, I shall know as fully, know, sorry, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abides, but these three, but the greatest of these is love. So this chapter is a definition of love, but it's also a description of the character of nature, the character of agape love. So I know, depending on your religious background, perhaps you were told somebody jab a finger in your face, proverbially speaking, and say, you better love like that, every one of you. 
I don't know how to mean. You better love like that. If you want to do the love kind of thing and you want to make God happy, then that's how you love, right? I don't know if you had that experience. But you know that this starts, as I said, when we went through all, the character, all those character uh, references of, God, of love, that this is first how God loved us. We love because He first loved us. Please get last week's message and please go through all those scriptures again and again and again and again and again and again. And again, just keep, keep boiling them, draining those scriptures until when you see, because I gave you numerous, I don't even, I didn't even count them how many I gave you, but it was at least 10 scriptures I gave you on God's love. When we, when we can extract, this is the essential part of who, who God is, okay? And so... Here we see in, in the love of God over here, it, particularly in this chapter, we see the 1 Corinthians 13, well, let me just make this statement first. Chapter and verse has only been in the Bible for 500 years. I think some guy started putting them in the New Testament, and he, he, sorry, he put, started putting the chapters in, in about, I think it's about the 12th century, just chapters. He just just so that you could find the chapters. He put the chapters in. It was a and, and that was when the Bible was still only in Latin or in Greek or in those those those. Chap- that's when he started putting chapters in. It was in the 1500s where eventually verses were added, and one guy just put the verses in, and then everybody pretty much kept them. There's some verse. There's some verses in different translations that vary slightly, but understand this. Chapter and verse have Jesus and the New Testament was not written in chapter and verse. Okay, chapter and that's why it's so it's it's important to keep reminding yourselves of these things because when you see how things people have divided chapter and verse, they sometimes say, "Well, uh, yeah, you know, you, we sort of read in passages, we read in verses." And, and so we, we keep saying, if you read the Bible, make sure you read it in context. Read a little bit, uh, read it as a whole. And, and that's the same for chapters, because what they've done here, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, we, in our overflow services on Wednesday, I've said this many times, because understanding how the person work of the Holy Spirit works, that is, starts being dealt with in 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, now about these things, these things of the Spirit. doesn't say gifts, right? He says, now, he says, about the, he says I, I don't want you to be ignorant. And like Pastor Greg says, he starts going on, he de-ignorantizes us. He starts to show us in 1 Corinthians 12 how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And he starts to lay out, on, and, and I don't, for the sake of time, want to go in it because there's so much we can extract just in chapter 12. But he goes, chapter 12, 13, and 14 goes, and, and specifically chapter 14, how to operate in the church. Say, in the church. In the church. 1 Corinthians 14 is not about operating it at home or operating it in Walmart. It's about operating it when we get together. Which means, guess what? We're supposed to get together. Yeah. Yes. Don't know if you figured that out with your lightning quick mind. You, you, you can't bring apart while you're watching on YouTube. 
Now, thank God for YouTube and for wherever this word is going. Thank God. But you know what? You and I are a part of a body. Can you say part? part. Yes, we are parts. We add and we contribute. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, it teaches us each joint supplies. Each part contributes. You and I just add a part. And then so 1 Corinthians 14 talks about how when we get together, this is how it should operate. When we're operating in a believer's system and when one of you brings something and when somebody's got a prophecy, this is how it should go, guys. And remember that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, you don't get, you, that's an, you don't get weird. I can't help it. I've just got to be strange and crazy. No, you can help it. Paul is shutting down the crazy people and saying, hey, you can help it. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets, so stop it. Control it. I just got to do it now. No, you don't. Okay, sorry. I just had to get that out. Sorry. Yeah, spirit of self-control. Exactly. It's one of the fruit of the spirit. Self-control. Sorry. Sorry, I had no self-control right then. You know. But, but you see, but you see we, we, we have conveniently sort of extricated 1 Corinthians 13 from 12 and 14. But they are, they are, they are integral. Paul didn't have like a, a brain burp, wouldn't say, oh, oh, let me go and talk about the love of God. Oh, let me go, go back and talk about the Spirit. No, he's talking about the same thing. In fact, at the end of chapter 13, he says this, and it's currently at the end of chapter 13. Remember, chapters and verses. So now faith, um, sorry, 12, sorry, at the end of chapter 12, he says this, um, oh, where I lost my spot on my page here. First Corinthians 12, he says, write it in verse 31, but he said, or maybe I'll go back 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. I've got to stop there. The fact that you can desire gifts means that one person isn't handed a gift and said, that's yours. Because there's been that rampant theology for a while that you get the special gift. And, oh, I've got the gift of this. And I've got the gift of that. Well, I've only got the gift of this. You know, you know we sort of think that we're substandard. We don't see us as having full of Jesus and the, and the Holy Spirit, the very third part of the Godhead that indwells me and never leaves me or forsake me, can actually minister in any one of those to whenever, whenever he as he wills. But he says here that we've got a part to play. It says, but earnestly, not casually want. Oh, so that leaves a question. What are you doing with the gifts? Do you kind of, oh, wouldn't it be nice? Wish upon a star. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Wouldn't it be nice? Earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. And then it goes straight into 13.1, and he speaks about tongues. So he goes in, starts talking about tongues. He speaks about tongues. And he says, um, prophet, pro prophetic powers. And he, is the, and, he, and he talks about knowledge. If I have the ability to understand all mysteries, he's talking about the gifts he's just mentioned in chapter 12. The gifts of wisdom and knowledge. 
so I can understand things. He says, but in every one of these, he says, he says, if I, he says, I can even give, give, I can be, he says, but if I, I can give my whole body, I can give everything I own. He says, but if I have not love, it ain't nothing. He's bringing this, he says, I will show you a more excellent way. And then he finishes, quote unquote, remember that chapter. We don't, he didn't finish the chapter, but we finished the chapter. And he says, now the greatest of the, he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. And then don't stop there because 14 verse 1 comes straight behind it. And he says, pursue love. The first two words of 14. Pursue love. And here we go again earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially he's going to handle especially that you may prophesy what do you think that means who gets to prophesy listen i didn't write these scriptures people joy won't you put 14 one on please 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. If you can desire to prophesy, guess what? You can. Now, I'm not saying that calls you into the office of a prophet. That's a different thing. I'm, not, I'm talking about operating and flowing in the gifts. The officers that are the church, the apostle, the prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, I'm not talking about the prophet, the gift of prophet, where being, that is an appointed fivefold ministry that God appoints. I'm not talking about that. So lest you think that I can just desire and I'm just going to be a prophet and I'm going to call everybody, I'm going to call myself a prophet. Guys, I, I'm sorry, you better not go on that, that cha- tangent. We don't get to we don't get to choose. We don't get to appoint ourselves as one of the fivefold. God calls, He separates, He equips, He anoints, so to speak, into the fivefold offices. Not you, and I'm sorry, not your Christian university either. Just because you go to a Christian university and you go and get a degree does not call you into the fivefold ministry. God alone does that. Only God. Sorry. I don't know. Maybe my, maybe my pippy. But here you see, do you see how he, he, he says love is a central part of this? 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about flowing. He says, these are the, the gifts of the Spirit. And then he says, I will show you a more perfect. And he says, Especially then he says goes into the whole description of love, how love operates, how that you can if you can you can have all the fanciest gifts in the world, all the knowledge, all the faith to move mountains. You can have such great faith that you can move mountains, but if you have not love, means nothing. I read 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 last week, and I told you that that's the, the level of maturity. If you want to see a Christian who's, he says, if you, it's if you love, you know God. He who does not love does not know God. If you want to see somebody who knows God, look at their level of their love. In, I, I don't have time to go into to Luke chapter 6 today because it would be just... But, but I touched on the, the fact that God operates in a, he, he loves his enemies. 
but we'll, we'll deal with love enemies anyhow in another time. But, but I wanted to go to Matthew 4, 14, 14 as we, as we kind of wrap this up. And I want to show you two verses here. One of them will break into a few translations. But Matthew 14, 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. We see this word um, often, and, and Clint Byers recently taught about it at our Overflow Conference, you know, the comp- word compassion, to be moved with compassion. And, and we, could, we could spend a long time on that, but it's, it's literally the word splachnon. It, it comes from your innards. It's, it's to have such a, a, a moving, a, a, it's, it feels like a bowel movement. What's that? You got to go when you got to go. It, you are so, it's urge, urgency, the urgency that you have. And Jesus was moved with compassion. You see, the love of God, when you understand, when you grasp the love of God, remember last week again, he who loves, I mean, God, we love because he first loved us, verse 19. He first loved us. When we receive his love and we, we grasp his love and we, and Ephesians 3, when we are rooted and grounded in his love, then we, will, then we will get to understand the greatness of God, be filled with all the fullness of God. So if there's any pursuit, it's to, to grasp and to allow yourself to be, to experience this love of God and compassion of God in a very intimate way. Because it, it's what drives us. When you are, I'm telling you, when you, the more you allow yourself to be loved by God, the more you will, you will automatically begin loving other people. You will automatically be moved with compassion. And that is the key way that God leads us. Not because your self-righteousness is good, it knows something, you're going to correct somebody else. Not because you want to get onto Facebook and blast somebody because they don't know the truth. Love. Love is going to be the key way that God leads us. And so we've got to know the way of love. So this, again, why have I spent so much time on love? Because this, this key part of God's character and nature is critical if we're going to flow with what God says. And like I said, I wish I had time to go into Luke 6 where God goes through. This is how God loves. He loves his enemies. In fact, in fact, you know that most churches, I can't help myself, if most churches accuse God of having the love of a sinner, because they say God will love you when you love him. But first, Luke 6 says that if you love only those who love you, doesn't a sinner love like that? Do you think God is the love of a sinner? No. God has loved us without condition. If you've never heard that before, that is the good news we take to people that they're, and I'm not talking about in the cheesy religious sense, that God loves you. I'm not talking about that kind of, I'm talking about he genuinely cares for people. He has called, he has toward people. In fact, at the parade, we, Karen created these awesome cards, but the, this is our get to know God intimately and experience his unconditional love. And there's a little QR code on the back. These are great tools because we aren't promoting Lake Haven Church. We, when, you, when you take that QR code and you zap it, it'll go and it'll give you a little gospel message. And Bert's done a creative video of doing it. And it's not big Lake Haven promo. It's just so somebody can hear the gospel. 
And, and I tell you what, I mean, drop one of these cards, take one of these cards, feel led. If you feel moved with compassion, there's a couple cards in Cardinal Order More, but take a couple of these. Lead, if you want to give somebody a card, that's, that would be a great thing. Most people know what a QR code is. There's some people who don't. They're like, what's a QR code? It's like, you, if you shoot this with your, with your smartphone camera, most cameras today will take you to a website. And on that website, you will get that video of God's, of God's love. But, but I want you to, you know, that just makes it easy because sometimes you don't have the ability to, to, to preach to somebody or to teach somebody or to something. This just, is just another little tool that we're creating um, with your help as we, as we create more and more tools to take the gospel to the world. But notice that, that God moves, moves through us through his love. And if you don't understand his love, you will be dead, um, hardened, uh, calloused to his moving. Because you won't be hearing that language. So then this, this, this scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.14 is such a powerful one. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says, um, the love of God, or, or the, well, this one I'm going to read out of the ESV, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Um, and then he goes, he goes on to, to talk a bit, I'll, I'll, I'll break it out in a different translation because you see, but the, the first I wanted you to see that the love of God controls us. Now, I'm going to go through different, a few different translations because that word control as you know, can be misunderstood. Because literally the love of God doesn't make me a robot. Right? Doesn't, doesn't control me like I have no power over it. No, that's not the word. So, so if, if I read it in the NIV, it says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Compels. The love of God compels me in the NIV. So I, I pulled it up in some of the older translations, Young's Literal. For the love of Christ doth constrain us. Yes. Now that's not a, a word we use much today, constrain, constrain, having judged, okay? So then this, uh, the message, I like this now, Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. Yes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do has moved me to such extremes. What has? Love. Christ's love. Now, I'm going to read this out of Weiss. Now, we don't have the Weiss translation on, on our, um, in our Bible program back there. But in, in verse 14, listen to this carefully. <clears throat> for the love of God, the love which Christ has for me, presses on me from all sides, holding me to one end, and prohibiting me from considering any other, wrapping itself around me in tenderness, and giving me an impelling motive. Isn't that cool? That's Wiest's translation. Having brought me to this conclusion, namely that one died on behalf of all, therefore all died, he also died on behalf of all, so that those who are living, listen, who is still living? Those who are living, who's living here? Anybody? Some of us? I hope most of us. We're doing a really bad job of checking on people if we have any other people. He says, he says that those of us who are living no longer are living for themselves, but for the one who died on their behalf and instead of them was raised. You see, this is dangerous Christianity. Because suddenly, what? I'm not living for myself. 
<laughs> no. No, evidently not. The Amplified Version says it this way, the more common one we do have. For the love of Christ controls and compels us because we have concluded this, that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for their sake. The love of God urges me, presses on me from all sides, giving me an impelling motive. I mentioned this at the end of last week's service. You are loved. And everyone you know is loved. I, I, I almost have to say this nowadays. That doesn't mean, that does not mean that we agree with everybody's insecurities. Or their delusions. In fact, Jesus' love showed us very clearly that love will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. That rich young ruler, remember? He thought he had been so brilliant and kept all the commandments. And he says, what must I do? And Jesus gives him an option, an opt-in to become one of the disciples. He says, go and sell. He says, because he perceived that he had an issue with money. And so it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. And he said, this is what you lack. He says, why don't you go and sell everything you have and then come and follow me. And it says he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. Many possessions. But you see, the, he didn't have possessions. The possessions had him. But what I love about that scripture today, I want to just highlight the fact that Jesus loved him. Jesus didn't say, you know what? I would rather he hang out and give me some of that stuff. You know, maybe I can eke out a few good offerings out of him. Jesus told him what he needed to hear to get freedom. Jesus gave him, he said, this is what you lack. He loved him and he gave him truth. You see, love will always give truth, but not harshly. Lest you say you've got a right to be a jerk and tell people truth. No, we speak the truth in love. We're told to give, we communicate truth in love. So love, I'm going to say it again. Love will tell us, tell you, will tell a person, will communicate in fondness, in kindness to somebody what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And that's hard for a lot of us. A lot of us that like people and want to be liked. Oh, but I just want to, I don't want to tell them that. I'm going to tell them it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You can do whatever you want to. You can believe in whatever you want. No, you can't. That's not truth. Be careful. Be careful. That is not love. When you start heading that way, then you start listening to a different spirit that is not the spirit of God. We've got to speak the truth in love. And we ha if we're going to walk this life, we have got to get ourselves established in the love of God. Amen. It starts with you and I. Is that something that you're willing to do? Is that something you're willing to embark on? Because if you let the love of God compel you, constrain you, He will be the one that's going to lead us into a 
normal Christian life. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for, for what he's saying to you. Lord, I just thank you for anybody who came in today burdened and heavy. I speak release and freedom in Jesus' name. I, I almost see there's a couple, maybe one, maybe two people that, that have had a, that have, Im, have believed a lie and have sort of worn a coat of depression. It's almost like a black helmet over their head. I speak to that lie and I tell you to leave in Jesus' name. Depression, you have no place on that child, on that son, on that daughter. In Jesus' name, you leave. I speak peace. I speak liberty and freedom. If that was you, just say the amen. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father, that you bring us into liberty, that you came to set captives free. We yield to your love. None of us, Lord, none of us have reached the full understanding of your love, but we're willing to learn. We yield to your teaching, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for experience, tangible, if you will, tangible experiences of your compassion. I, I challenge you just to yield to that. Let the Lord demonstrate his love to you today over this next week over this next month yield to his love because he is the shepherd that will go after you and manifest his love to you thank you father we thank you father for your love and goodness thank you father for that <coughs> Excuse me. Any pain, as always, any pain in your body, if you have any experience, any pain, Keith, do you have anything on your heart? No. If there's any pain in your body right now, just yield that to the Lord. Right, use your imagination, eyes are closed, but just... I love the illustration of either going to the cross or to the throne, whatever works for you, but Jesus took your pains, your diseases, your sicknesses on his body. See yourself handing over that pain and putting it on Jesus' body, releasing it, saying, I let it go. Whether it's neck, whether it's knees, whether it's a disease, whether it's a diagnosis, just let it go. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't received Jesus, please start with there. Start with receiving Jesus if you're watching online. If you haven't received a, 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 a baptism, if you will, or an infilling of the Holy Spirit, and it's something that you're ready for, or you want more information about, come and see one of our prayer counselors, because I know I was one of those that needed more information, and we can point you to resources. We've got great resources on our FAQs on our website. Um, 
where we've got little teachings on some of these topics. Um, we've also got great resources and books that we can help you with um, if you're one of those people. Amen. Um, I think that's it. I'm just wondering. Amen. Yeah, come and see us. If there's anything, come and see one of our prayer counselors.